1: Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, April 28th, 2022. This is episode number 268. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book "What's Growing in Grandma's Garden" and Cannabis' favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about unions in the cannabis industry in South Jersey. A dopey dad leaves his edibles out. The DEA says it's okay, but experts warn not to mail seeds and clones just yet. Cannabis and autism, impaired driving, a California bill helping our farmers, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Canvas News Hour. Oh shoot, that didn't work. The following program contains coarse language and
2: nudity. Viewer discretion is advised.
1: Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. We love our audience, but keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as a co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What have you got for us today, Rico?
3: Oh yeah, I got some drama, lots of spice. So uh, mine's coming from W.R.I.C. News out in my home state of Virginia. Uh, Lawmakers reject gas tax holiday, oust top Democrat and kill cannabis bill and drama filled session by Jackie DeFusco. Virginia State Capitol was not short on drama in yesterday's session. That looked more like a VH1 pitch session um, room than a General Assembly. A gas tax holiday proposal rejected. Top Democrat ousted from leadership in an effort to create new cannabis regulations failed. All on the watch of Jason Beck's favorite Southern governor, Glenn Youngkin. Per WRIC News, the politically divided General Assembly returned to Richmond to act on 26 vetoes and more than 100 Yunkin amendments. but instead, they chose violence. Gas tax. Uh, Yunkin did have big plans to suspend VA's portion of the gas tax, eliminating it entirely 90 days starting in May, then push uh, then phasing it back in by October. True to form, he blamed the Democrats. It's a chance for us to give uh, Virginians a break when they need it most. So yeah, I'm disappointed that the Democrats don't see that and continue to think it's their money. Problem is, Senate Finance and Appropriations Committee rejected that shit bipartisanly with a 12-3 to 3 vote against it. Uh, opponents raised concern about hurting transportation funding, and it was never articulated how, cons- uh, how consumers would ever see those savings. Top Democrat removed from leadership. Um, former House Speaker Eileen Filler-Korn was ousted as minority leader in a closed-door caucus meeting. The Democrat declined, uh, co- uh, commenting on camera and thank Virginians for allowing her to become the first woman and first person of Jewish faith, faith to serve as speaker in a written statement. Her most likely replacement, Delegate Don Scott, refused to give specifics on why she was removed. His response to reporters? It's family business. All right, then. Finally, uh, the Yunkin amended bill creating new cannabis penalties and cracking down on Delta 8 died on the floor as well. The measure would have created new misdemeanor penalties for possession starting at two ounces, but was killed by a procedural maneuver by the state Senate, also effectively neutering uh, Youngkin's ability to approve the original bill as is standard. Democrat Senator Jeremy McQu- uh, McPike said before the vote: "Number one, it created new crimes. It's a non-starter. That substitute needs to fail, and it's important that folks do a reset on this. I think there was good intention in the original bill. Per the article, the new, the now dead bill is passed. Uh, as passed, set a new per." package and per serving limits on THC, sending shockwaves through the thriving Virginia CBD industry, uh, making business owners fear being forced uh, out of business and into dis- discontinue products. It had also been Delta 8 retail sales and edibles uh, that may be appealing to kids. For this body to fail to take action this year, I think it's really a gracious irresponsibility," said Senator Shobon uh, Denevent, who's a re- Republican out of Henrico County. Um, not all L's were taken on Yunkin side, however. The Dems tried, but 26 vetoes went either uncontested or upheld. Newport News delegate uh, Marsha Price said, this is what we're up against, nonsensical rationale for killing bipartisan legislation that could have helped thousands. Following in the footsteps of his obvious political role model, the biggest measure, notably absent from Wednesday's melee, was a vote on Virginia's next budget. We're still making some progress, uh, but there are a couple of big issues, including uh, how much Money we're going to return to Virginians uh, in the federal in in the corporate tax cuts. That's still up in the air. Corporate tax cuts don't help people. Trickle down economics does not fucking work. Republicans. Uh- So all of this democratic, democratic chaos, my home state's government is looking a lot like the rest of the country did four years under Trump. No notable progress. Opposition solely blamed uh, for failures and the cannabis industry is left in limbo. Success and failure begins with leadership and elections have consequences. This is why the people, uh, this is what the people of the old dominion state voted for. And this is Glenn Youngkin's Virginia. This is Rico Meet the dad on the street for the state of cannabis news hour. I'd love to hear what everybody else has to say about this Republican success or chaos?
0: Well, first of all, Rico, just, just to set the record straight, Glenn Youngkin could possibly be my second favorite uh, Republican Southern governor um, because Ron DeSantis would be first. Oh,
3: excuse me. I apologize. Uh, I all about DeSantis. <laughs>
1: you know, we're, we're at time on this story, but boo-hoo for the CBD industry. Rico, What, what do you know what the change was that they're worried they're going to go out of business?
3: Um well, there was a bunch of new measures, and it's basically going to, to kill the sale of uh, Delta-8 and, and most of the CBD products that would have been available to people um, uh, uh, pre-retail uh, opening. But um, it's still in the gray area, and um, we'll see what happens.
4: Hey, Democrats suck at trickle-down economics, too. Look at California. That's because yeah. trickle-down
2: doesn't work, though. That's only because trickle-down doesn't, trickle doesn't work. Trickle-down doesn't uh, work
5: for nobody. It doesn't work established Rico you guys were you guys are so close under Northam that's a shame
3: you guys gotta know, you know where the trickle ends if you want to take benefit of the trickle you, you, you gotta you got, you got, you got shake things up to stop the trickle Jason
1: we, okay let's get a room on this we need to keep moving and we need to get uh, Laura and then Priscilla in because they've got another thing going let,
0: let, let Laura go
3: next
1: yeah you want to introduce her Rico sorry live show
3: you throw you throw you throw. sorry let me get to, me get to Laura
1: oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll edit oh, this
3: edit. <laughs> no, no you are good let's do it alright so she's the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association current chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section uh, the founder of San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project and most importantly the baddest hottest voice on the radio live Lara DeCaro has even said your name wrong Lara DeCaro <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're hysterical. Yeah, no, you you have the best voice in radio, but we'll, we'll stop there. You are so the dopest dad we have up here on the stage right now, but this guy's possibly the dopiest dad we have out there. The title of my article is Girl Who Shared Edibles at Ohio School Thought They Were, quote unquote, Easter Candy, the police say. It's by Ori Benatar and Joe Clark for Nickstar Media Wire. So apparently, in Windermere Elementary School in Upper Arlington, Ohio, which is a suburb of Columbus, a 10-year-old little girl brought cannabis gummies to her school and shared them with four of her besties. The fourth grade girl's father, Scott Maker, or Macrae, sorry, if I apologize if I have messed up his name, he's 43 years old, and he's now facing charges that include endangering children, possession of a controlled substance, et cetera, et cetera. The children who consumed the gummies on Friday at the elementary school fell ill shortly thereafter and told the nurse that they had gotten the gummies from this girl who told the nurse that she had gotten them from the kitchen cabinet. So her dad says he ordinarily stores them in his bedroom, but apparently he got a little drunk or something the night before took his edibles, went to bed, and put him in the wrong place before trotting off to work the next day. And the 10-year-old, somehow alone in the kitchen, maybe making her lunch, took him with her to school. The gummies were described as 15 milligram THC gummies that he got in Colorado uh, and um, that he says he uses for a medical condition. The Ohio Medical Marijuana Card is quoted as saying ingestion of 50 milligrams of THC can cause quote-unquote extreme side effects, such as rapid heart rate and pain. It's not clear how many of these gummies the girls or the children ingested, but they were reported as uh, being impaired, experiencing nausea, and hallucinations. So in Ohio, apparently it has been legal um, uh, for medical and use since uh, 2016, sorry, in 1975, possession of up to 100 grams was decriminalized, but um, obviously they didn't have an implementation structure until 2016. Um, In Ohio, it is available from retail dispensaries licensed by the Board of Pharmacy, and the limit you can possess um, if you're a registered patient must not exceed their 90-day supply, so that's a calculation that would be done separately. It's not clear whether this father is a registered patient in Ohio, or if he just goes to Colorado to get his cannabis and brings it back. Anyway, I thought it was a a real lesson to parents out there. Just keep control of your meds. Make sure you understand just like any other medicine or any other um, substance you may have in your home, know where it is. Don't let your kids get it. And Clearly mark it. Uh, She's 10 years old. She can read and He should be having discussions with her about what he's consuming. Anyway, my name is Laura DiCarlo, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
1: I need to send him a copy of my book. Um, uh, I, the article I read said it, they were 50 milligram.
0: Yeah, gimmicks. that's
2: what I, did it sounded like. Uh, yeah, five zero. Sorry, five zero milligrams each. To be clear, that's so much. Oh my <laughs> so, God. So
0: these are obviously trap market products.
2: Yeah, probably. Probably well, it no, doesn't no, sell no, probably problem. they
0: couldn't be they couldn't be legal because there's no legal <laughs> market that allows for fifty milligrams in one serving will
2: serving well, that's assuming it's one serving right I think I think that's right, Jason, but I there's a lot that's not really reported.
6: This will also be interesting, you know, as we were talking about Ohio yesterday on the show and the possibility of a ballot measure there in November to legalize for adult use, so things like this make that more challenging, yeah. Yeah,
2: remember? I mean, a few years back in Vegas, where they had that that uh, family who had the gummies in the closet. Yeah, um, that the kids brought to school. Yeah, same deal. So, and people just you you know you need to be careful. You wouldn't you wouldn't leave anything else out for the kids to consume.
6: And fifty milligrams. Need- for need children. Oh my gosh, I can't even take fifty.
1: That's crazy. And and so when the cops came, he put him down the kitchen disposal and. Uh, he was was he
2: wasn't arrested.
0: That's because he erased, erased the evidence.
2: I think he's being arraigned. Um, uh, I don't know sometime this week. But yeah, he was charged.
0: Jesus, yeah. what yeah. this was in Ohio, correct, Laura?
2: Yeah, this is Ohio. Windermere uh, Elementary School is in Upper Arlington, which is a suburb of Columbus.
0: Yeah, yeah this is yeah. 100% a fucking illegal, illicit product because they don't even allow for eighths in Ohio. You have to buy a tenth of a flower.
2: Yeah, yeah. They, they see that their products, there they allow oils, tinctures, plant materials, edibles, lotions, creams, and patches, but they prohibit the use of smoking or combustion. Uh, they do allow vaping. I
0: don't know. Um, Wait, yeah, all, all the flour, all the flour is sold in with the assumption that it is gonna be vaporized, even though everyone smokes it. It's the most stupidest thing in the world. I I, I blame Nick
1: Lachey. Who? Okay. We're a time ta- we're at time on this article, but I wanted to give Nick from our audience a few seconds.
0: Not Nick Lachey. I
1: just
7: I just wanna point out that um, this whole entire campaign is propaganda. And made to like smear cannabis gummies because children are caught all the time taking illicit substances out of their homes into schools and all we seem to hear about is these cannabis or delta-8 gummies so um, as much as I agree that they shouldn't be taking them to school um, I, I think that this is much of a propaganda smear campaign.
1: Pot is hot people want to talk about it you're right absolutely thank you Nick.
0: Yeah, no one's talking about the kids taking mushroom chocolate bars to school. What's going on? Drinking
6: alcohol. Kids take mushrooms to school? Is that real, Jason?
0: 100% it's real.
8: I never mind.
0: I'm not <laughs> touching that one. I Let's keep
8: smoking touch- the news. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, coming up next to the stage, our next correspondent is the CEO of the award-winning Original Breeders League, MJ BizCon's 2021 Golden Bong Influencer of the Year, and universally recognized as one of the dopest moms on the planet. Coming next to the stage, it's Priscilla Agansillo.
8: Thank you so much, Mr. Beck. Okay, so my story is experts warn against mailing cannabis in light of the recent DEA ruling. Earlier this month, the DEA acknowledged that cannabis seeds are, in fact, legal products under provisions of the 2018 Farm Bill as long as they contain less than the 0.3 THC legal threshold. actually just qualifies them as hemp. The attorney who sent the letter that sparked the review, uh, his name is Shane Pennington. He serves as counsel in Vicente Sutterberg's um, New York office. He caution that though not much will change for the industry in the short term um, just because the DA's letter and and clarification. Uh, Currently under the Farm Bill, it distinguishes legal hemp from illegal cannabis by the 0.3% THC threshold um, versus uh, what they may have uh, or what they should have done if they wanted to control uh, seeds, uh, cannabis seeds, uh, and, and rule it under the source rule, which dictates that anything derived from an illegal source, regardless, of THC content is illegal. The source rule, uh, under the source rule, seeds and clones sourced from outlawed cannabis are also considered controlled substances under the federal law, despite THC concentrations falling below the 0.3 threshold outlined in the Farm Bill. So in the letter to Pennington, the DEA chief of uh, the drug and chemical evaluation section, Terrence um, Booze, concludes that Cannabis seeds that have, that have delta-9 um, THC of not more than 0.3% on a dry weight basis meets the definition of hemp and thus is not controlled under the CSA or the Controlled Substances Act. Uh, Pennington said that the letter didn't end all arguments, which he said have evolved into claims that cannabis seeds, clones, and basically anything with less than 0.3% THC could now be mailed, brought across the state lines, and shared between states that have legalized cannabis. The DA's response is, That it likely opens the window for research and intellectual property and the ability to follow normal seed laws, which is a very positive thing. Um, In 2019, the U.S. Postal Service did release the following guidance about mailing hemp as defined under the Farm Bill. Uh, So, hemp and hemp based products, including CBD with THC concentration uh, not exceeding 0.3% limit, are permitted to be mailed only when the mailer complies with all applicable federal, state, and local laws. And the mailer retains records establishing compliance with such laws, including laboratory test results, licenses, or compliance records, for no less than two years after the date of mailing. So ultimately, the letter doesn't legalize interstate commerce of clones, doesn't change any rules on marketing or advertising, or the positions of any other federal agency. So, um, you know, this is a really important topic. Uh, We're kind of just getting into this. One of the main uh, important reasons um, for really delving into this and finding solutions, um, dealing with clones and seeds is, uh, intellectual property, uh, protection for, for cannabis breeders, for, for cannabis companies. Um, and, uh, in fact, for the first time, uh, Laura Jacaro, myself, uh, an IP attorney in cannabis, Jeff Hamilton, and um, a renowned cannabis breeder, Jimmy the Chef, will be doing a panel for the SF Bar Association talking about intellectual property for cannabis, this, uh, this kind of loophole that we're seeing this gray area uh, right after the show. So really excited that uh, this is an important topic that we're now, it's now getting its time and proper attention to be addressed. This is Priscilla for the SAC News Hour. I am starting a seed company called
1: Immaculate Conception Seeds.
2: Yeah, I was surprised that you know we really hadn't been hearing more about it. I'm super excited for this event right after this uh, clubhouse. You know, it's just going to be um, really informative, and then I'm sure there's a ton that Priscilla is going to shed light on that I am most of us don't have any idea can happen or should happen. How this all goes down, I think it's fantastic.
0: I oh, know I still think you can ship seeds with no problem. I just I think shipping clones is a whole nother type of thing because once a plant has roots they consider it a plant so therefore it would not be considered a seed like varietal
1: shall we challenge the law
0: i've, I've been challenging the law my whole life susan that's what i specialize in
1: i mean openly
0: i've been challenging the law openly. yeah you, have. you, have. Oh, you yeah. have
1: yes you have yes you have yay jason yay okay Let's keep smoking the news.
0: I'm just, I'm just saying, if they can't stop all the weed that's being shipped in bulk, you know what I'm saying? They're definitely not going to stop some little fucking baby-ass
3: seeds. <laughs> okay. All right. come to, <laughs> to the stage next is the mint coat wearing, and private jet-hopping, Emerald Cup-judging, industry's longest continuously-running retailer who just happens to be my co-host and metaphorically partner in crime. Think of us as the weed industry's Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder side by side on the piano, one blind and one tone deaf, because we are Ebony and Ivory. Jason Beck, what you got for us, man?
0: Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Rico. Happy Thursday, everybody. And I just want to make a special note to make sure you turn into our show tomorrow, because where it's going to be episode number 269. But nonetheless, let's get back to my story. Here we coming out of South Jersey, where unions are moving to meet demand for representation in the cannabis industry. And now we need the sound of dun dun dun. With the cannabis industry slowly but surely coming into its own across the state and country, workers have expressed the desire for the benefits of fair treatment that often come with union representation or misrepresentation, depending on who it is and where it's coming from. One of the most recent examples in the region come when the United Food and Commercial Workers UFCW 152 announced it had agreed to represent more than 60 employees from the Botanist, a dispensary in where the fuck do their sites go? Uh, ah, in, in Egg Arbor, sites in Egg Arbor Township and Atlantic City. It's the first cannabis company local 152 will represent. But far from a first for UFCW Local 360, another union branch based in Berlin, representative employees from a number of cannabis sites, including the Garden State Dispensary. While industry leaders and advocates are still working to break down the stigma that's associated with cannabis use, Local 152 Organizing Director Mike Thompson said employees just want to make the same kind of protection and stability employees in other fields get. Well, isn't that sweet? This is going to be a legitimate industry, Thompson said, and people deserve to be represented, have great paying jobs (coughs) and great benefits, which I'm totally for. I'm all about people getting paid, right, having benefits. that's, That's the American way. According to Thompson, EHT and Atlantic City workers at The Botanist reached out to Local 152 in January. Workers from the company's Williamstown site are currently represented by Local 360. Aiding in these unionization is a requirement by the state for cannabis companies to sign labor peace agreements, which I think is a, should not be happening, but whatever. These contracts essentially mean that if a large company wants a license to operate their cannabis businesses in the state, it cannot oppose the organization of a union by its employees. Smaller mom and pop shops don't have to adhere to this because of the significantly smaller size of the staff, which I really feel like it's more like. Um, they, the the unions just don't see it as enough of a revenue generating steam because they don't have enough employees, but nonetheless, you Goriato local three sixties organizing director was part of the discussions to push for agreement language in the law. It's an effort that started during Chris Christie's administration. If anything, we are just getting excited that the Senate assembly and the governor's office care about workers, Guiardo said. On Tuesday, Guiardo and a number of other industry experts joined U.S. Representative Donald Nacross, Democrat from the 1st District, for a roundtable discussion in Camden. The group praised the state of including the labor peace agreement requirement. States will do the same in the future. And he says, I'm proud to say I think we have the strongest cannabis laws for cannabis in the country. Local 360 President Sam Ferrano said, I believe they're actually using our laws as a guideline for other states. It's very exciting. Well, I personally disagree with both of these last two individuals' comments. New Jersey is not a a, a roadmap to to better laws across the country. This is just all just a bunch of bullshit. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
1: Jason, have you smoked any weed today?
0: I'm actually getting ready to light
3: up right now. Now that I finished my story.
1: I was gonna say you you seem a little grumpy. I think you should light up right now.
3: <laughs> He's mad because I hit him with that heat
0: on Glenn Youngkin. No, cut it out, bro. I don't get mad. That's just ridiculous.
5: Ada. Yeah, hey, unions are having a moment and it's gonna come big thanks to Amazon and just unmitigated greed. So when you know when companies just grind down workers, you're gonna get pushback. And you know, the the record shows from the fifties to nineteen seventy-nine and 80 when Reagan came in and started knocking down the unions, that was when America, when the worker was doing well, when the middle class was growing. And since 80, it's flatlined. You know, the real income for the middle class has flatlined since the 80s. So good to see it coming back.
3: I agree with you wholeheartedly, Eric. And I do believe uh, 100 percent this is the union's time to rise in America. And we're going to see a lot more of that huge, huge, huge victory up in New York with that uh, Amazon. And we're only going to see more of that. And it's going to reverberate throughout the, uh, the cannabis industry as well. Yeah.
5: yeah, that, that, yeah that young dude, that young dude in New York, uh, you're talking about Rico that led that Amazon. That is an amazing story. That dude got canned by Amazon. He came back and schooled Amazon. That was amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, You see the, Top story at MJ Biz Daily today is the Denver marijuana company's dispute with union highlights PR pitfalls. It's happening all over the country.
1: I've been on the fence when it comes to unions for a long time. Like solidly on the fence. My parents were both in unions, and um, uh, I am coming off that fence. Yeah, I. You know, the reason is because it seems like the union people that I've known. It, it seems kind of like you know. A gangster move.
0: It's a hustle. But, it's a hustle, Susan. Okay. Just call it what it is. It's, yeah,
3: it, it, there's
1: it, some well, bad it, people.
3: It, I think. It, I think it depends. It, it all depends on on the union, and on the people, on the constituencies um, as well. And um, you could say the same thing about all forms of government. But it's a it's way for exploit, the people to it's fight the back.
5: Exploitation of and corporations—you could say it's a yep. hustle, just like corporations are a yep. hustle. It depends who's doing it, how they're doing it. It's, it's, it's,
3: it's an effect. It's an effective counter uh, to the uh, uh, to the power that is uh, office, often mishandled um, by central, uh, centrally located uh, um, figures—the heads of corporations and the heads of uh, of state as well. So, big ups to the unions. We need that the other side of the coin.
1: Yeah, definitely. Rico and Eric, I'm picking up what you're putting down.
3: Well,
0: I'm putting down this joint. And coming up to this next stage next, he's the founder of MediCan and co-founder of the CESC, a nonprofit cannabis research organization, a real industry OG representing the people with the utmost compassion. Coming next to this stage is the man, Dr. Gene Talleyrand. What you got for us today, Dr. Gene?
7: Thanks, Jason. Okay, so this headline is from Merced Sun Star of Merced by Randy Diamond. Uh, California bill allowing pot farmers to sell directly at farmer's market advances. So California consumers may be able to buy cannabis directly from cultivators at farmer's markets just like they do for produce under legislation approved Tuesday. By the state assembly committee on business and professions california ab2691 would require the department of cannabis control to issue temporary event retail licenses to licensed cultivators that grow one acre or less in california small markers are seeing financial challenges uh, wholesale prices for outdoor grown cannabis has dropped to 488 dollars per pound according to research firm Cannabis Benchmarks. This is a more than 55% drop from 15 months ago. The legislation still needs to clear the Assembly Appropriations Committee and the full Assembly Chamber and then go through the Senate before reaching the governor's desk. Kristen Callahan, owner of Magic Meadows from, the, from Middleton Lake County, says, This is an important first step that will help our cash flow by being able to sell directly at farmer's market. According to the bill, farmers will be allowed to sell at eight cannabis farmer's markets per year. Farmers see this bill as a way to add to their profits in difficult times. Products would have to be sent to distributors for testing and transportation, and taxes would have to be paid throughout the process, just as other licensed cannabis retail. Farmers also see the direct sales as a potential beginning of cannabis tourism in California. Visitors would sample different varieties of cannabis, similar to what they do at a winery. The bill's main opponents are dispensary owners who are concerned about competition. Unlike cannabis business association, oh, I'm sorry, United Cannabis Business Association said the bill would violate Prop Two Sixty Four. Assemblyman Philip Chan from Orange County is also concerned that there will be an oversaturation of these retailers in his community. The bill sponsor, Assemblyman Jim Wood from Santa Rosa, countered that the legislation was about giving the little guy a chance. We're talking about eight events, he said. We're not talking about everyone getting separate licenses. Farmers insist that allowing consumers to sample their products at farmers markets will all will only promote cannabis more, benefiting all players in the state's legal cannabis industry. Uh, Davis Farmers Market Alliance executive director Randy McNear said that she, she oversees a food business. The Davis Farmers Mark, Market will likely not invite cannabis farmers to sell their products. We really are interested in selling food. So at this point, cannabis is not food, McNear said. I'm sure you'll see some of this product in other markets, but not here in Davis. I really like that this bill brings the consumer in closer contact to the farmer and really promotes diversity in product types. However, I'm still concerned about taxes that are still in place and that the bill will likely, um, uh, will unlikely drop prices. So maybe this is just the baby steps. What do you guys think?
1: I think that uh, I want to make a comment on Jared Kylo's comment, and that is if it violates Prop 64, we'll run Prop 60 more in 2024.
0: You're not going to do that, Susan. Cut it out. I agree that
7: Prop Prop 64 needs violation. Cut it out.
0: I will will say this in regards to to UCBA statements, um, I think – I think they need to get behind this bill. I think it only helps the industry overall. And after all, it's only going to be eight events that these uh, these farmers are going to be allowed to participate yeah. in. I mean, it's not, it's not going to take any type of uh, revenue from, from, from retails across the state. And it's only going to help our craft farmers. So I'm totally in favor of this bill. And UCBA needs to get their fucking shit in line and get on board with this shit.
2: Well, I don't know what they need to do. They represent retailers. I mean, this is their game, right? I mean, UCBA... Focuses on representing retailers. Retailers have put a ton of money into getting those doors open. They are going to be opposed to any kind of situation which increases the availability, right? In either of those retailers, <coughs> I'm not sure if it's the right thing, right? I, 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 I'm, I'm
0: just saying. I'm just saying this. It's, a, it's exactly. the same type of fucking pro uh, protectionist, fucking small-minded mindset that 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 is the same reason why MSOs lobby against home grow. It's the yeah. same. Bullshit protectionist
2: clauses. Homegrown is illegal in, <laughs> so mm-hmm. the home illegal in Ohio. Let's go back to Ohio.
5: <laughs> Jason, no, I'm, I'm not- totally on the same team with you, man. I'm I'm with Jason on this 100. It's it's like these guys are you know this is about tourism that we're really cultivating this, especially here in California, allowing the farmers on their farms. So just like when you go to a winery, you can buy you you can go to Bevmo. In the city, but when you're when you're in wine country, you, you go to the vintner and you buy the wine from them. So let the far, let our craft farmers do this. And there's still plenty of room for re, big retailers, but these are for the small mm-hmm. guys at Advanced and in tourism situations to uplift those communities and those small small operators. Exactly.
0: Okay. These guys yeah, are only allowed eight events a year to participate in. That is that is not a lot if you break down it really down. Well.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. And, it's,
0: and not it's, to mention, there has to be eight events for them to participate in in the first place. Right. And currently right. there's none. So,
2: so wait, so just to be clear, too, I mean, back to Eric's point in the new proposed permanent regulations, there was an essential prohibition on providing access to your cultivation facility or even you know manufacturing or retail facilities for a fee. So going back to that whole tourism concern, there's a lot going on that conflicts with this potential this bill. So, we need to be really cognizant of everything that's going on right now in California and the definite, like, the different revenue streams that our cultivation facilities um, can experiment with right now.
1: Yeah. I think we need to get a room on this. Everybody wants to weigh in. I, I think it's the same as selling clones and seeds. If you let your customer grow cannabis, more than likely they're going to end up not wanting to do it because it's hard, and they're going to love cannabis even more. Yeah. You just have to have a longer view. We're going to give the last word to Stephen, and then we've got to relight the room.
9: As one of these quote unquote small cannabis cultivators, um, I look. Like, this is this is. Um, <laughs> Uh, 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 A lighthearted gesture at best to, I guess, make up for the acre cap hold they were supposed to have on this whole law that really fucked us small growers from the get-go. And I think it's a a really shat attempt, really horrible attempt at trying to make up for something that they did wrong Um, because this shouldn't even be an issue. It shouldn't even be an issue because eight freaking how in number one, how am I supposed to get away from my farm in the middle of grow season to go to eight farmers markets? I mean, come on, let's be realistic. Plus, I have to get a booth, packaging, all that fun stuff. And what is the BCC going to do when, you know, to me, when what they did at the freaking Emerald Cup? What's what's I mean, or at the Emerald Ball? What what difference? What, what what what's changing here, folks? I yeah, mean, it's, I'm it's, sorry, Steven, Steven, you're, not, Stephen, Stephen, you're the getting page.
0: the ability. You're getting the ability to sell direct to consumer at eight different events throughout the year of your choice. That's the only thing that's changing. Eat. That's yeah
1: it. it's not it doesn't deal. make up it doesn't People make up for the one acre build. cap yeah, yeah it definitely it's does
0: not enough it definitely it's doesn't not but enough. you know what it's take your wins where you can because you hey, can't make the hey, bad the hey, enemy no because the they're
9: gonna baby think steps. that it's th- baby steps. i i i i'm I'm, <sighs> I'm happy about the baby steps but we should have never been in this position to begin no. with so let's no. think about that
1: yeah let's relight the room
0: you are tuned into the state of cannabis news hour your daily dose the thoughts and opinions
3: expressed in the State of News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of or its members. The statements made in the State of News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of campus and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of campus or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of campus or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised.
1: Let's keep smoking the news.
3: He's the kind of freedom-fighting farmer's friend America needs more of a fifth-generation Californio, and an award-winning journalist, writer, brand consultant, event promoter, and content ninja. The best part? It's all done in the name of international truth-telling. Eric Hislereta, what's the news, hermano?
5: I'd like to smoke those intros. Um, Rico, thanks so much. Great to be here today. Uh, My headline is from Cannabis Now. And it's, can cannabis treat autism? Studies continually show great potential for cannabis as an effective treatment for autism. Determining the right dose, however, is proving difficult. So jumping right in here, uh, fewer and fewer places in the US remain where it's still a criminal act for adults 21 and older to use cannabis. Even fewer places deny, deny sick Americans some accommodation to use cannabis lawfully. But even though these 14 cannabis legalization holdouts agree it's okay to give cannabis extracts to kids as long as those kids have been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, and with good reason. Miraculous stories are all over the Internet, such as children speaking their first words after using cannabis oil, or autistic adults with severe anxiety and near total social isolation rejoining society after smoking cannabis. So this begs the question, can cannabis treat autism? A definitive final answer is elusive. However, as a review authored by researchers led by Marina Babayeva, a professor at the Touro College of Pharmacy in New York and recently published in the scientific journal Frontiers in Bioscience, found a growing number of clinical studies have shown promising results of cannabis treatment and autism spectrum disorder, or ASD. This makes practical and scientific sense. CBD and THC activate the network of receptors called the endocannabinoid system. Due to its vital role in regulating emotion and social behaviors, the endocannabinoid system represents a potential target for the development of a novel autism therapy, the study states. Cannabis does help autism, as this latest review, prior studies, and loads of compelling, convincing anecdotal stories say. But what cannabis treatment would work best for each individual case of autism and how much cannabis should be given in those instances. It's too early for anyone to recommend cannabis as a validated, well-studied type of a substance, said Dr. Nathan Call, director of clinical operations at the Marcus Autism Center in Georgia in a recent interview. That's the final word on cannabis and autism that's yet to be spelled out. In the meantime, autism and cannabis suffer for the same knowledge gaps plaguing the rest of cannabis-based met, uh, medicine. Defined by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention as a developmental disability caused by differences in the brain, autism has s- several known risk factors but lacks a clearly identifiable cause. Treatments generally involve the off-label use of pharmaceutical drugs as a last and final desperate intervention to prevent behavior dangerous to the person or to others, as well as careful education and plenty of coping skills. However, as the authors of the Frontiers in Bioscience Review noted, several studies have suggested that dysfunctions in the components of the ECS may contribute to the behavioral deficits and neuroinflammation observed in autism. Other studies have associated autism with problems with the body's immune system, and there are ECS receptors found in immune cells that could control the movement of inflammatory cells, meaning if the receptors can be given the right amount of cannabis to generate the right response, that too might soothe symptoms sufficiently to allow the sufferer to enjoy something closer to a normal life. Given the knowledge gaps, Studies investigating cannabis potential in treating autism have, by necessity, taken a shotgun approach, trying concoctions with low THC, no THC, high THC, or ratios of CBD to THC, including 20 to 1. Simply put, there isn't enough data yet on specific cannabis concoctions for specific phenotypes of autism, leading parents and practitioners to grope around in the dark, hoping to stumble onto the winning formula. More clinical investigations are needed to discover the efficacy, safety, and dosing of the therapy. The report states, this would be a significant advance in the treatment of autism and could lead to improved functioning and quality of life for the uh, patients and their families. I'm also going to note here that at the present time, uh, the article stated there were seven studies investigating cannabis and autism that are in various stages of completion at universities across the U.S. and Israel. And that gives me a lot of hope for the families that are dealing with this. And that's what I've got today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me up.
1: Thank you, Eric. We've got Michelle up from the audience. Michelle, did you want to weigh in on Eric's headline? Yes, as a parent of two kids on the
2: spectrum, one of who is taking a full spectrum CBDA and CBGA mix, I will definitely say that it, it works. She went from when we started on her CBD originally, she went from one word sentences to four to five words within a month. It was amazing. She now speaks fully, her communication, her gait, everything, her mood swings, let alone her seizure control, has all been helped with cannabis. I just to say that thanks and look at the acidic forms they're very very they work much better.
4: Michelle what's the age of your children
3: uh
2: my daughter is eight and my son is ten
3: well, thank you for sharing that with us uh Michelle and thank you for this story uh Eric a lot of people do get caught up and lost in the uh the whole 420 blitz and we forget that it is national autism month I've done a lot of work um over the years um and one of my old business partners um uh, had her son Um, helped out greatly um, using cannabis to treat uh, autism symptoms. So uh, my wife working in that field, it really does touch uh, me in a different way uh, than a lot of people. So uh, thank you for covering this. And uh, people need to uh, really hone in on what's going on with the whole cannabis and autism conversation because there's a lot more to it we can't really talk about on a a federal level because of uh, illegal uh, status in the U.S.,
0: one hundred percent, Rico. And and, and with, with all of that, too, I just want to say to all of the prohibitionists out there, Project Sam and all you other naysayers, what about the kids? What about these kids that that need this treatment to help their life and to make them more productive members of society? One hundred percent. We need better Thanks, rules
2: Susan. to protect these kids and protect the parents that are trying to help their kids.
0: I think Dr. Felicia has something to say, Susan.
1: Yeah, you get the last word, Dr. Felicia. Good morning, everyone. And I just want to remind everyone that autism is considered a clinical endocannabinoid deficiency disease or disorder. Therefore, they need more cannabis to be more normal. So when you hear studies on cannabis and pregnancy causing autism, you know that's not true. And I'm done speaking. That's great to know. Thank you so much. Let's keep smoking the news.
0: Coming up next. To the stage it's a pot loving phd and champion of common sense cannabis policy a real life alternative activist remaining optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos coming next to the stage it's menika mahajan what do you have for us this morning
6: thank you jason good morning everyone today i'm talking about the state of diversity in the licensed cannabis industry to be more precise i'm talking about the lack of diversity My headline reads, Black cannabis entrepreneurs account for less than 2% of the nation's marijuana businesses, and it comes from Amia Taylor of Fortune. The article draws on surveys and studies from 2017 to 2021, concluding that diversity among cannabis business owners is declining. Because the data come from different studies with different methods, comparisons are imperfect, but even the static figures are telling. In 2017, a survey from Marijuana Business Daily found that 81% of American cannabis business owners and founders were white and 10% of cannabis business founders identified as Hispanic, Latino, or black. Leafly's job reports, a jobs report of 2021 found that 1.2 to 1.7% are owned by black people, despite that category representing approximately 13% of the population. That's nationwide. Now let's turn to state and local stats, where at least 5% Black ownership is rare. Nevada has a 5.1% Black ownership rate, and it's 5.6% in the city of Denver, but under 3% statewide. In Massachusetts, as of 2021, 73% of active owners and personnel were white, and 64% were male, according to the state's data. The Fortune story then unpacks three issues. First, funding and access to capital. In California, you can expect to pay about $250,000 up front to open a dispensary. Cannabis warehouses can cost six figures per year and require a multi-year lease. That's a lot of capital. Courtney Mathis, a co-CEO of Cannabis Doing Good, told Fortune, quote, Most folks who are part of the regulated and legacy market are keenly aware that a license alone is not sufficient. Leasing or buying a building, lighting and other equipment, staffing and software, legal and accounting support, etc., All require vast amounts of capital, not just upfront, but likely for the life of the business. Without credit worthiness and thus traditional financial history, it's exceedingly difficult to demonstrate to investors that their investment is a lucrative one, end quote. Second, barriers to entry. Some black business owners have trouble getting licensed at all, which keeps them outside the legal industry. As of January 2021, of the Los Angeles applicants initially approved for the first 100 retail, retail store licenses... An estimated 11 Black business owners were accepted per PewTrusts.org. Third, licensing comes with strings attached. In some places, businesses have to contribute to community organizations as a condition of licensure. In Massachusetts, they're called host community agreements. In California cities, they're called community benefits agreements. Some local officials will explicitly discuss having licensees bid, Uh, saying things like, let's see who offers the most in community benefits agreements. Businesses with high amounts of disposable income can write those checks, but lower income applicants may be passed over for not writing those big checks. So this is the result of current policies in our different state and local experiments across the U.S. These studies show us that current policy is not achieving anywhere near the level of equity that's promised and points to reforms in the licensing process that can be made even before Congress gets its shit together to deschedule cannabis. If you have any time today, please pull one stat out of this story and share it with your followers to spread awareness. I'll leave it there to leave time for comments. I'm Menica Mahajan, reporting for the State of Cannabis News NewsHour.
3: Um, Menika, thank you for covering this. Um, uh, obviously, as a black man and uh, in the industry, I have my own thoughts on it. I think uh, uh, Guy Court earlier this week, I think it was yesterday's show, um, He said something that um, a lot of people need to pay attention to. We need more education uh, as well. If if you're going to have more black folks in the industry as we're rapidly moving forward, we need to make sure uh, that those getting in the industry are uh, best prepared to succeed. And um, social equity really doesn't do a lot to address the educational uh, part of the conversation. Um, You can actually give people money. I'm all for the reparations side of it. Uh, we can actually give people uh, a certain amount of money and they're going to fail um, if they don't know how to play the rules or play by the same rules that um, uh, the people that are going up against with much deeper pockets. So um, it's 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 sad and it's only going to get worse um, with uh, more corporate entities uh, entering the mix. And um, I'm all pro-reparation, man. Like Social equity is, uh, is what it is at this point.
6: Yeah, I mean, if everyone keeps copying, pasting these policies that are leading to these outcomes – across the country, then we would expect to see similar outcomes in the newly legalizing states. So I think that's one takeaway.
5: Yeah, I was just going to add, you know, to Susan, that the numbers in California are staggering for Latinos. When you consider we are 39 percent, we are the majority, 39 percent, and we're at about 5 percent ownership here in California. So when you look at those numbers, that's something that in the largest market in the world is freaking mind-blowing, that the disparity is is really it it it's just something that we just spins our heads it's just
4: un- yeah thank you Manica, for sharing because this brings more awareness to those people that deny that there is inequalities when it comes to opportunities so thank you very much for again shining a light on this
6: thank yes. you yeah i hope people will share this these statistics it's, the more people who have eyes on this number which is or these different numbers which are so shocking you know, the more um, the more motivated they may be to to actually initiate some reform.
1: It just proves that trickle down is working. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep smoking the news.
3: This blunt-blowing Fresno-based man of the people speaks with a conservative voice, revealing the black side of liberty, potent enough to give President Joe Biden corn pop flashbacks. Currently running for Fresno City Council and here with us to change the mainstream narrative, Nicholas Wildstar. What you got for us, my man?
4: Appreciate that, Rico. What's up, East State of Cannabis crew? And happy Take Your Kids to Work Day to all you dope moms and dads out there. My story today from the National Law Review should give some relief to all of you Californians that are worried about your boss finding out about you smoking weed. A bill recently introduced in the California Assembly proposes to stop discrimination against employees who use cannabis off the job. Assembly Bill number 2188 would amend California's employment and anti-discrimination law called the Fair Employment and Housing Act um, and make it an unlawful practice for an employer to discriminate against an applicant or employee based upon the person's use of cannabis off the job and away from the workplace AB 2188 would also prevent discrimination against an applicant or employee who fails a drug test detecting non-psychoactive cannabis metabolites in their urine, blood, hair, or bodily fluids. The bill would not allow an employee to be impaired by or to use cannabis on the job or affect the rights or obligations of an employer to maintain a drug and alcohol-free workplace. As specified in section some some of the health and safety code. A B twenty one eighty eight includes carve outs. For the building and construction trades, federal contractors, federal funding recipients, or federal licensees required to maintain drug-free workplaces. Its provisions also exclude occupations that are required by federal or state laws to be tested for controlled substances. If enacted, AB 2188 would be the first California law providing workplace protection for users of cannabis. Prop 215 legalized medical use of marijuana in 96, which did not provide workplace protections for off-duty, off-premise medical marijuana use. In 2008, in Ross versus Raging Wire Telecom, the Supreme Court of California determined that a disabled individual who used medical marijuana was not protected under the FEHA. In 2016, Prop. 64 was approved, which legalized the recreational use of marijuana, but left employers' workplace rights undisturbed. The legislative initiative stated that its purpose and intent, among other objectives, was to allow public and private employers to enact and enforce workplace policies pertaining to marijuana. The initiative also provided that nothing in it would be construed or interpreted to amend, repeal, affect, restrict, or preempt the Rights and Obligations of Public and Private Employers to Maintain a Drug and Alcohol-Free Workplace. The California Chamber of Commerce opposes AB 2188. And in April 23, um, on April 23rd, published a statement on its website saying the following. AB 2188 outlaws utilizing metabolite-based testing for marijuana by making any discipline based on a metabolite test A violation under FEHA. We have concerns about the feasibility and cost of the alternative test published by AB 2188, specifically specifically saliva and impairment-based testing. These tests are relatively new and we are concerned about their reliability in identifying marijuana use. In addition, we have concerns with the efficacy of saliva-based testing for marijuana consumption in an edible form. The Cal Chamber also raised concerns in the letter that AB 2188, if enacted, would limit or eliminate pre-employment testing for marijuana and make workplace discipline for reasonable suspicion impairment for more difficult and subject to litigation. AB 2188 is currently under committee review in the California Assembly. The bill would need to pass both houses of the California legislature before it lands on the governor's desk. The governor has until September 30th of this year to sign or veto the bill. Reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour, this is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. the governor. Speak now or forever hold your peace. I'm out.
0: I mean, I mean, any bill that helps to protect against discrimination from cannabis in the workplace, I'm, I'm totally behind because there's far too much of that. And the reality is that in California, under our labor law, you are allowed to, consume a beer during your lunch and so the exact same exception should be uh for, for cannabis you should be able to smoke on your lunch break without an employer getting all up in your shit and having a problem as long as you're not driving and it's not affecting your job in a non-productive habit you should be more than free to do this type of shit
1: what about the gun issue i think we need to keep moving but you know if your job involves i think ev- gun, i think
0: everybody then- should be able to buy more guns open carry everywhere It'd be a safer place <laughs> yeah guns don't kill people i kill people crazy fucking whack fucking kill people exactly sure
1: let's keep smoking the news
0: all right coming up next to the stage she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis entertainment and psychedelics coming to the stage next is the founder of cannabis blog and podcast shall we toke? it's shalina panu
10: Thanks so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is study finds driving under influence of cannabis less likely in legal states. As reported by Marijuana Moment, a recent self-reported study found that those driving under the influence of cannabis, also known as DUIC, in both legalized and non-legal states differed. Those in legalized states were less likely to drive within three hours after consumption as opposed to those in non-legalized states. One exception that the researchers noted is that those who are frequent users in medical states are still at a higher Risk of DUIC. The main point that was found in the study was that the states that have not legalized cannabis generally had more impaired drivers versus non impaired drivers. They believe that the potential reasoning for this is due to the public education offered surrounding impaired driving in legal states versus non legal states. A possible reasoning for these lower rates may be due to the perceived safety of cannabis use. In states where it's legalized, there's a greater likelihood that users will receive more information about consumption and safety from people like cannabis physicians or properly educated bed tenders versus living in a non-legal state where there isn't legal access to these options. Further, there is a possibility that labeling requirements could also play a huge factor in preventing people from getting behind the wheel after consumption. This way of warning consumers to not drive after consumption directly on the products they are using has a greater effect on newer consumers who are already unsure or hesitant about consuming. Here in LA, if you're driving on any major freeway, the Highway Patrol has been posting textbooks boards alerting drivers to not use cannabis and drive. These methods of warning drivers in legal states could also be another factor as to why there are less people driving after consumption. The study concluded that while all states should educate their citizens about the potential dangers of cannabis consumption and driving, those in non-legal and medical-only states are in the most immediate need of DUIC prevention efforts. The researchers suggest that states should consider using mass media campaigns to warn about the dangers of DUIC in order to reach all cannabis users, including more frequent users. As far as medical states, they suggest that medical dispensaries should spread information about DUIC what are your thoughts on this recent study my name is Flynn and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour
1: Awesome job, Shalina. Thank you so much for the PSA. Unfortunately, we've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcast. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and also our pinup girl, Zsa, Zsa Simone. Brown. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there is news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust.
3: You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye.
1: Let's do another one. That was a great conversation today.